Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. San Francisco is now the biggest city in the country to pass a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, following a trend of local governments hoping to put pressure on Israel and on the Biden administration. And if enough of us speak out, President Biden will have to listen. And there is no doubt in my mind that without the weapons, money, and backing of the United States, the far-right government in Israel will not be able to continue its ethnic cleansing campaign against the Palestinian people. Today, San Francisco's ceasefire resolution and what impact it could have. So resolutions are different from, you know, laws that a city may pass. Sydney Johnson is a reporter for KQED. It's essentially a way for a local government or, you know, a city metro area to basically take an official position on something. They're usually more symbolic and will take effect immediately. And the city passes resolutions pretty often. Typically, they do focus on local issues, but ones like this ceasefire resolution aren't unheard of either. In 2022, for example, the city passed a resolution supporting protests against the Iranian government and the country's leadership for human rights abuses. So there is some precedent to this. When was this idea of a ceasefire resolution first introduced? San Francisco supervisors Dean Preston and Hillary Ronan, who are both Jewish, officially introduced their resolution to the full Board of Supervisors in early December. So by that time, the violence that started after the October 7 attacks had already been going on for almost two months. By the time they introduced the resolution, though, there was still plenty of controversy over it. At the same time, there was a little bit of a precedent for local governments to take this type of action because places like Oakland and Richmond had already been uh, taking those steps. Right. So an idea like this is sort of gaining traction over the last few months. And in order to pass a ceasefire resolution in San Francisco, it sort of had to go through some meetings, including one on Monday where supervisors got to hear from the public. What was your sense of how people were feeling about this resolution based on the public comment that you heard? 
I would say that the majority of speakers who came on Monday were in support of the resolution. First of all, it was a five hour long item with most of that being public comment from people in the community. I mean, dozens of people were lined up. It was a completely full uh, chamber. You know, it was a little chaotic at times. There's a lot of fear. I'm, I'm calling for some humility that after they've been, after they've Excuse me, excuse me, stop for a second. Let the man speak. When everyone is speaking, let them speak. If you disagree, put your hand like this. If you agree, wave your hands. Do not taunt people when they're speaking. Go ahead. Thank you. We heard boos. We heard cheers. Free Palestine and thank you. They often had to pound the gavel to <laughs> bring things back to order. Hold on. This is... If you it guys also, keep it up, this, I'm going to recess the meeting okay. and there won't be a vote. So just chill out and let everybody speak and then we're going to vote. Regardless of where folks are standing, there was clearly just this palpable energy and people feeling really fired up about this issue. My name is Lara Kiswani. I'm the executive director of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. I'm also the daughter of Palestinian refugees, and this is my daughter Selma. Since I was last here, I learned that I lost 40 family members in Gaza. There were many people who showed up talking about family members that they have who have died in the violence. My name is Manal Alcara, San Francisco resident born and raised in District 8. More than 100 members of my family have been killed in Gaza. And the rest joined the two million made homeless by our tax money and our unlimited military aid. I'm here as a family medicine doctor who has taken an oath to do no harm. We are witnessing atrocities. There was also a large group of doctors who showed up, uh, part of this do no harm coalition that have really been um, just calling for more humanitarian aid and medical support in Gaza as well. Should we tell you about Dr. Hamam Aloh, a nephrologist who worked at Al-Shifa, who said, this is not the medicine I thought I would be practicing. When asked why he continued to work at a hospital under threat, he replied, and if I go, who treats my patients? And if I go, who treats my patients? Two weeks later, he was killed in an airstrike on Al-Shifa. How many more? How many more children? How many more doctors? Where the rub really came down was over the language that was going to be used and sort of how the call for ceasefire would be portrayed quite literally line by line and in the resolution itself. As long as we're here, there are three things that must be included in this outrageous resolution. Number one, lay out the atrocities in detail that have been committed by Hamas on October 7th in detail. There were some opponents that said that the resolution didn't go far enough to call out Hamas for its role and the attack on October 7th that killed around 1,200 Israelis. Several people said that they didn't feel safe for expressing their criticisms, and they wanted to see more language added to support Jewish and Israeli communities. This resolution is bringing out, it's legitimizing, it's making it okay to call for the destruction of Israel and um, 
threats to Jews, and I please ask you to focus on keeping us safe here, everyone, and not legitimizing hate speech. Thank you. Well, I know uh, part of the work of things like this is definitely in the language, and I want to ask you about that. But before we get into that, how did the supervisors who introduced this resolution talk about why do this at all in San Francisco? I think that's a great question, first of all, because there were people who spoke up during public comments saying that San Francisco should be focused on our local issues. You know, we have a housing crisis. We have an overdose crisis. The only consideration of a ceasefire really is in the hands of Qatar, Egypt, Hamas and Israel, not by this board. You know, why would we be focusing hours of our government's attention um, on something that's maybe to some not directly affecting our backyard? But in response to that, there were plenty of people who said, actually, this is affecting people here. This is the most gut-wrenching issue that I have dealt with on the Board of Supervisors. I have never received more calls more emails, more people stopping me on the street, people grabbing me wherever I am to tell me how they feel about this moment. I don't think- Supervisor Asha Safai, you know, he pointed out that he was supporting the resolution because he hoped that it would simply allow members of the community who have lost loved ones or have direct experience with violence in the Middle East to feel seen and heard by their but local leaders. I can tell you as the only person on this board that was born in that part of the world. And my life began with gunshots ringing outside every single night. This is deeply, deeply personal to me. And I have thought about nothing else more every single day since October the 7th. And so I know this resolution, some people think it's not gonna do anything. It will allow some people in our communities to feel heard and seen for the very first time because they feel as though they're not seen in our city. You know, the U.S. government funds a lot of military aid in Israel, um, and that's something that Hillary Ronan and other supervisors who supported this said that they hope it will send a message to the Biden administration to shift its approach and policies on the war in Gaza. I believe we're going to start something here today that's going to take off across cities all over the United States. And if enough of us speak out, President Biden will have to listen. And there is no doubt in my mind that without the weapons, money, and backing of the United States, the far-right government in Israel will not be able to continue its ethnic cleansing campaign against the Palestinian people. Coming up, the debate over how to word the ceasefire resolution. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. So, Sydney, I mean, I know other Bay Area cities have considered resolutions like this. And and part of what has made some of them very difficult to pass are these debates around language. And how do we sort of come to a consensus on that? What did those debates look like in San Francisco? So San Francisco definitely had those debates as well. And this resolution was met with plenty of controversy. So in San Francisco, the language debates did mirror somewhat what we saw in places like Oakland um, and Berkeley. It was proposed by two supervisors who wanted to make a pretty broad call for ceasefire. That initial version did mention things like the October 7th attacks, but it did not explicitly condemn Hamas for its role. So there was some discussion about including language to label Hamas as a U.S. designated terrorist organization and um, also to include language calling on Hamas to surrender. This was still an issue that other supervisors were unsure of as well. There were multiple supervisors who wanted to see that condemnation of Hamas included in the language. And so on Tuesday, board president Aaron Peskin introduced a handful of changes to try to court skeptical supervisors and reach a unanimous vote. We have not succeeded Arguably, we have failed to use this as an opportunity to bring our people on both sides of this divide together. I came to work and met with several of you uh, and heard different things. And as president, wanted to see if we could bring at least the 11 of us together in a single uh, statement. And um, to that end, uh, I am offering amendments that turn this into a one-page resolution. That included explicitly condemning Hamas for its attacks on October 7th, but also condemning the Netanyahu administration for the ongoing invasion and airstrikes. It calls on the Biden administration to pursue a ceasefire as well, and a handful of other considerations. 
But there were still some supervisors who said it wasn't enough and they didn't reach that consensus. Yeah. Why is that for at least the supervisors who still decided that they weren't on board with this? What were some of the things they said at the meeting on Tuesday about why they weren't supporting the resolution? The supervisors who voted no against this, and and there were three, said that they still support some of the intention behind what the resolution was holding, but that they just felt it didn't go hard enough to condemn some of the violence that Hamas has uh, played a role in. What haunts me as much as anything I have encountered in more than 20 years of working in this building is hearing the orchestrated denialism about what happened on October 7th. You know, Dorsey in particular, he was saying that it could risk sending a message that terrorism works. Um, And that was something that resonated with uh, some of the other supervisors as well. But I am troubled that the pain of some people is being denied. I can't in good conscience support this resolution. So what is the language that they ultimately landed on and how did supervisors ultimately vote? So the final version condemns both Hamas and Netanyahu for the tens and thousands of deaths that have taken place in Israel and Gaza. It calls for release of all Israeli hostages, demands an increase in humanitarian aid to Gaza, and it condemns anti-Semitic, anti-Palestinian, Islamophobic rhetorics and attacks. The supervisors voted eight to three for it to pass, with supervisors Dorsey, Stephanie, and Mandelman as the only no votes. Well, there are eight ayes and three noes. The resolution is adopted as amended. Next item. There were so many cheers. The whole room just erupted. Um, people were throwing scarves and papers in the air. <laughs> it looked a little bit like a graduation. And yeah, there was just a lot of emotion. And there were, of course, people who were there who were upset to see this pass as well, feeling like they weren't heard and, and represented by the language. But the vast majority of people that showed up on Tuesday were filling the halls of the chamber afterwards, cheering and supporting. Do we know anything about whether resolutions like these actually have an impact at all? You know, I think that the war in Gaza is one of the biggest humanitarian crises of our lifetime. And there are people here in our community that have fled that violence, that have family that is still in Israel and Gaza. And I think that resolutions like this do kind of show where San Francisco's heart and priorities are at, that, you know, we are aware that there are these issues that we need to focus on locally, but this is one of those. You know, this is affecting people here, too. And I think that there is a lot to be said about taking a controversial stand like this when you have a federal administration that is taking the opposite stance in in some ways and coming out and saying, you know, this is not where we're going to stand is is pretty tough to do. You know, I think we can only speculate, but uh, I think that is certainly the intention with resolutions like this is to send a message, take a stand and, and hope that it inspires some sort of change. 
Well, Sydney, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Sydney Johnson, a reporter for KQED. This 25-minute conversation with Sydney was cut down and edited by me. Maria Eskinka is our producer. She scored this episode and added all the tape. We got some additional editing support from senior editor Alan Montecilio. The rest of our podcast team here at KQED includes Jen Chien, our director of podcasts, Katie Springer, our podcast operations manager, Cesar Saldana, our podcast engagement producer, Maha Sanad, our podcast engagement intern, and Holly Kernan, our chief content officer. Music courtesy of the Audio Network. The Bay is a production of member-supported KQED Public Media in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.